Um, earlier, when I was uh, giving you some announcements, I did forget to mention uh, something for tomorrow evening that I want you to be aware of. Um, we're going to open the church at 6.30 tomorrow evening, uh, just for a time of prayer. Um, there's no agenda other than that. There won't be any classes going on. There's no child care. Uh, it'll be just a time for some specific prayer uh, ahead of the new year. So I uh, want to make that available to you. And so if you feel um, inclined to do so, we'll be open here at 6.30, and uh, we'll be praying about some uh, very specific things. So just be, be mindful of that, and I uh, hope uh, to see some of you here tomorrow night. That would be great. Well, the presents have uh, all been unwrapped, and uh, in many cases probably already discarded, bored, right? moved on from, what's next? Carols have been sung. Um, probably a lot of the decorations have been down. Uh, I'm guessing some of you, it was like the next day, boom, it's, it's gone. Trees out the door, lights are down, uh, and we're moving on. We're going forward. And all season long, you've reminded your children that Jesus is the reason for the season. And you've been reminded of that as well. And you've heard different scriptures that reinforce that. And you know about the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And you've talked about that. We sung about that. We just sung about that a few minutes ago. And all that is good and well, that those are all great things to do. And we need to engage in those types of things around this time of year. It's important. But... There's a danger there, too, and it's a danger that is true of just about anything that becomes familiar, and that's that it becomes so familiar familiar that we often lose the wonder for the things that we're reminding ourselves about. You know, especially when it comes to saying Jesus is Emmanuel and understanding what that means, that title, that term, God with us. Those of us who know the Bible at all, who've been in church any length of time, we get very used to that statement and that concept. But what does that really mean? What is wrapped up in the reality that Jesus is God with us? What all goes into that? What is Christmas really all about? What is the ultimate purpose of Christmas, and and why should we wonder so much about it? That's what we've been talking about all month long. This whole series has been the wonder of Christmas. We've talked about different aspects of that, about why we should wonder and how we can wonder and how God invites us into the wonder of Christmas. But what is the ultimate purpose of all that? That's what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this series, the wonder of purpose. And what I want you to do, what I am hoping for each one of you, is no matter how familiar you are with what we talk about, no matter how much you know about the true purpose of Christmas, I want you to be recaptured today by that wonder. I want the wonder of the purpose of God sending his son to invade your heart and invade your mind and carry over into your life. That's my wish and desire for you and for me as well. It's what we need because the wonder of the purpose of Christmas, church, my friends, that's life. That is our life. 
And that's where life is found. Father, I ask that you would truly capture our minds and our hearts again this morning. That you would fill us with a renewed sense of wonder at the purpose of what we know as Christmas. Do that in each of our lives, I pray, and let it carry on and carry over tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. May it result in sustained and increased life change. All for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, we are given uh, a very clear declaration of the purpose of Christmas, the purpose in Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, in Galatians chapter 4. So I want to draw your attention there. Galatians 4, verse 4, Scripture says this, But when the fullness of time had come... I love that word, fullness of time. I love that phrase. Think of uh, when you're, you're pouring a drink and, and it's getting full, it's getting full, it's getting full, and it's up to the brim, and it's, it's starting to come over the edges of the glass. You know, that's really the idea here. God, in his completely planned and purposed uh, whole program for the redemption of humanity, Everything happened according to his timetable from the Garden of Eden on in every age. Nothing happened by accident. Everything was deliberate. Everything was intentional. And at this point in God's calendar, the time had come. The fullness of time had come. It was, it was boiling over. And it was this time that Jesus was sent right at the exact time according to God's perfect time and his plan. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. That's the law of Moses, but more broadly than that, it's the law of sin. He was born under woman, under mankind. He was entering into that experience, the, the experience of, of humanity under the law. And even though he was not under the law of sin and death himself, that's what he entered into. And he was born of flesh. Why? What was the purpose of that? Why was he born under woman, born under the law? To redeem those who were under the law, verse 5 tells us. That's the whole purpose. He was sent as the Redeemer. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The purpose of Christmas, the purpose of Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, the purpose of God sending his son when the fullness of time had come was a purpose of adoption. Sometimes people go across to different lands, different countries, to find a child that they're going to adopt. Their purpose of of taking a trip is to adopt someone. Maybe some of you have done that. Maybe you've experienced that. The, The trip has really one goal and one purpose. It's not sightseeing. It's not to take in some new culture. It's to go and find the one that you're going to adopt. That's when those trips take place. And the purpose of God sending Jesus to earth, the purpose of him coming here, yes, it was a rescue mission, it was to redeem, but it was ultimately a purpose to adopt. To bring us, those in need of redemption, into adoption 
in the very family of God. It's incredible that he would do that for you and me, that, that we being who and what we were, sinners against a holy God, enemies of God, rebels of all of God's program and plan and kingdom, that he would look at us and say, I love you, I'm going to rescue you from the sin that keeps me from you, but more than that, I'm going to actually bring you into my family, I'm going to call you my sons and daughters. Incredible. Truly something that should fill our hearts with wonder. You know, we we talk a lot about the fact that um, Jesus is the reason for the season. How many times have you heard that throughout December? How many times have you said that? Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's true. He is the reason for the season. But the reason that we have the season called Christmas was so that Jesus would go to the cross. The reason we have a season at all called Christmas was ultimately for the cross. Redemption is the real reason to celebrate the Christmas season and remembering what was required for that redemption and for our adoption, and that's crucial. We have to remember what was required. We know Jesus came to redeem. Just about everybody understands that. I mean, even if, if you don't have a lot of in-depth knowledge of, of Christianity and you don't know much more beyond the Christmas story, it's very easy to wrap your minds around, oh, this, this was redemption. Jesus came to redeem. He's the redeemer. But understanding, understanding what was required for that redemption and understanding what was required for the adoption he came to provide, that's very crucial for all of us. See, the Messiah's manger that we all see all December long, we all know about, it's on Christmas cards, it's everywhere, it's right here on display. But we need to understand the Messiah's manger was the means by which he would go to the cross. The Messiah's manger was the means by which he would go to the cross. When Jesus stepped into humanity at his incarnation, he was stepping onto the pathway of the cross. And that's the only thing that could make our adoption possible. Him going to the cross. It wasn't enough just for him to come into humanity. It wasn't enough for God to become man. It wasn't enough for Jesus to be There, among people, in the flesh, that wasn't enough. We had to be made righteous in God's sight in order to be adopted by him. And the only thing that could do that was the Messiah that was born in the manger going to the cross. And there's a big theological term that some of you, I'm sure, have heard. Uh, Others probably haven't. It's called double imputation. Double imputation. This is what was absolutely necessary for us to be not only right with God, but be able to be adopted by him. It was, it was something that had to take place. And we're, we're told about that in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. It's an incredible reality uh, that we have as part of our salvation for those of us who are in Christ. Here's what the Bible says there. He, speaking of God the Father, made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. What was the purpose of that? So that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. This is absolutely astounding. Think about who and what Jesus was before he came into Bethlehem, before the incarnation, before the manger. We're told in John 1 that in the beginning, which really means when time began before that, this, something was already happening. There was already a, a fact of reality. And that's that Jesus was the Word, the Word that was also God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. That's talking about Jesus. He existed for all of eternity prior to Bethlehem. However long eternity is, you know, we can't fathom that. But however long that is, Jesus was already there long before Bethlehem. He was there before the creation of the world. He himself was the creator. And before any of that took place, he existed in perfect fellowship with God the Father, sharing his full divinity. Perfect, holy, enjoying worship of angels, the splendor of heaven. And Jesus, being of the same nature as God the Father, means he had the same attributes, but also the same character, the same desires. They shared the ultimate will together. So the holiness that God the Father demanded, the hatred of sin that God the Father had, that means Jesus the Son, God the Son, also shared that. And so... Take that and put that over onto what we just read. That he made the one who did not know sin. In other words, who had never experienced in any way what it is to sin. Couldn't identify with that. That was not ever part of his being. That was never part of his nature. And yet the father made this perfect one who shared his hatred for sin. He made him to be sin. Jesus, God the Son, the Righteous One, became before His Father the very sin that His Father hated and had to judge. God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. But God is always just. He is always perfectly just, just as He is perfectly gracious. He's always 100% on, on both of those sides, those spectrums. So God had to judge sin to be able to still be just and to be God. And what he did was he took his son, the eternally righteous one, and he made him sin. Before the father, when he looked at Jesus he at the cross, he saw sin. What was the purpose of that? It was an exchange. We who before the father were completely sinful... And when the Father looks at at us outside of Christ, apart from Christ, that's what he sees. He sees our unrighteousness. He sees our sinfulness. He sees everything that, that is opposite of him, everything that he must in his righteousness judge. He sees that on every person outside of Christ. And so at the cross, what happens is Jesus... As only he could do, being God, he took our unrighteousness, our sinfulness... He took that upon himself, became that before the Father, and in exchange gave us his righteousness, 
His standing before the Father. So that in Christ, when we trust in Him as our only source of salvation, our only source of rescue, what happens is, now the Father looks at us, He does not see our natural unrighteousness, our our sinful nature, our sinful choices. Instead, He sees the very righteousness of His Son. It's double imputation. Our sinfulness was imputed to Christ. His righteousness and holiness was imputed, placed in to us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the wonder of purpose surrounding Christmas, believer. That's the wonder of purpose in your salvation. It's so that you could be adopted by God. And you could not be adopted by a holy God, a perfect God, unless perfection and righteousness that you could never achieve on your own, that I could never achieve on my own, unless it was given to us by grace. Unless it was placed over on our account. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. That's exactly the purpose for the manger. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is about. That's what's wrapped up in it. The the manger from the very beginning lay in the shadow of the cross. That was its whole point. What that means also for us, we have got to remember that a gospel without a sacrificial substitute is no gospel at all. The thing that makes the gospel good news, that's the meaning of of gospel, good news, the good news. The thing that makes it such good news is that we have the sacrificial substitute that we need. Because we can never do any of that on our own. There's no one alive now or that has ever lived that could achieve the righteous standard necessary to not just be made right with God in a relationship with Him, but to become to become his very child. The adoption that we enjoy and experience in Christ was all because of the sacrificial substitute that Jesus gave. And it's just absolutely, absolutely astounding because think about what we know in human experience. Every other king, every other ruler, every other emperor in history or in the stories that we know they always answer rebellion by their subjects, by their citizens, by crushing the rebels. It's all through history. The Roman emperors, the king of England, what he did in sending his, you know, his armies over to the colonies to try to crush the rebellion that was brewing. Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars. I mean, it in every context, whenever there's a a ruler or an emperor or some sort of authority figure and there's rebellion in their rule, what do they do? They answer it by trying to crush the rebellion and as quickly as possible. But what we see here in, in the text that we've already read and in the Christmas story as a whole, we see a beautiful contrast. And we're reminded by the fact that Jesus is the only king that willingly chose to be crushed for his rebels in order to offer them not just forgiveness for their rebellion, but full adoption 
into his royal family on top of that. No one else does that. I mean, just just think about that. That's what we all were. That's what every human being alive still today now, apart from Christ, stands as a rebel against a holy God, a rebel against the king of all kings, a rebel usurping the authority that belongs solely to God. Every time we choose sin and every time we choose to live for self and every time we pursue our agenda over God's agenda, we are usurping the authority that belongs to him. We are saying, no, your rule over me is not enough. No, I don't want you as the sole sovereign of my life. I'm going to make myself my own sovereign. Thank you very much. Every sin is an elevation of our own sovereignty and therefore a rebellion against his. And that's what every sinner stands guilty of. And yet, God looked at all of us rebels And didn't let the hammer of judgment fall on us as he should have, as would be right and fair and proper. Instead, he said, because I love you so much, I'm going to send my very son, whom I love with a love that no one can fathom, who I loved for eternity and perfection, I'm going to send him, he's going to take on your flesh, The flesh he created, he's going to take that on for the sole purpose of giving that flesh in sacrifice for you, receiving the hammer of judgment, the hammer of my wrath that should belong to you. It's going to fall on him all for the purpose so that I can adopt you into my family. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to make you right with me, but I'm going to go beyond that. I'm going to make you royalty. I'm going to make you heirs of eternal glory. That's the purpose of Christmas. Wonder at that. Let that wonder fill your mind and fill your heart and fill your life again, no matter how long you've known it to be true, no matter how long you've embraced that amazing gift. Oh, Christian, see it through, through new eyes again. Let it capture your heart again. Why? Why do, we, why do we need to know this? And why do we need to have that wonder fill our hearts and minds again? Why do we need to come back to this purpose over and over again? The, the true and full purpose of Christmas It's because without understanding this, without remembering this, without being gripped by this again, then the true purpose for living life and the right motivation to do it will be missed. We'll look in the wrong places and depend on the wrong things for our joy and our peace and and our hope, which we do all the time. Why are we so empty so much of the time in our spiritual life? Why do we feel so dry? Why do we have this elusive sense of of hope? Why is it so far beyond our reach so much of the time? Why do we just go through the motions so often? Why are we missing the joy of our salvation so often? I really believe it's because we get distracted 
from what is true and meaningful, the, the full and, and real purpose of not just Christmas but life, but it, it starts in the manger. It starts with Christmas. And we go on and we look for different things and we fill our minds and our hearts with different things. And we say all the time how we're supposed to keep Christmas in our hearts all year long. We know that. I mean, that's so cliche and we, we rattle that off and we say, yes, this year, I want to have Christmas in my mind, in my heart, the real meaning of Christmas. I want to keep it all year long. And, and we say that. And we should. But we have to remember that the wonder of Christmas lies in the cross. And so we have to keep coming back to the cross and understanding what Jesus did there for us, what he made available to us, and the full reality of our salvation that it's found there. And as we understand that the high king of heaven left his throne to come here to this cold, dark world that he knew would reject him, and yet he did it anyway, making rebels part of his own family, the question that is before us as we think about that is, okay, what do we need to do in response? And really the question is, how can we not live for him? In response, when we understand all that that means, all that Jesus did for us, all that is true of us in Him and because of Him, all that is true about our salvation, how can we not live for Him in response? Second Corinthians five fifteen says this, and He died for all, so that see that purpose statement, so that. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, which we're all prone to do, but instead for the one who died for them and was raised. That's our response. Live for Jesus in response to all he did for us. And the next question to that is then how do we do that? All right, so I I need to live for him in response. I know that's my, my only fitting response to him. As I understand all that he's done for me, all that he's made available to me, all that he's given me as as this new reality in him, all right, yeah, I need to live for him in response, but how? How do I do that? How do I go about it? Well, the major, most significant way we do that, the way we choose to live for him and, and not ourselves, is by rejecting the rule of sin in our lives. Because believer... There's always this war inside. You, you feel it every day. You know all about it. It's the war for supremacy. Your flesh, your, your carnal human flesh that's filled with sin, it's warring against you for control. It doesn't like the fact that a new ruler was placed on the throne of your heart. The flesh cries out against that. And it constantly tries to overthrow that rule, the rule of the Lord Jesus. And so sin, at its very core, the temptation for sin is a temptation for rule. It's a temptation for kingship. It's a temptation for ownership. And for you to give in to that is... It's a choice to give in to ruling and running your heart and your mind and your life. 
And so the way we fundamentally live in response to all that Jesus did is by choosing to reject that rule, the rule of sin in our, li- in our lives, and choosing instead day in, day out, every moment to present our whole self, our entire being in holiness to God and to intentionally offer every aspect of, of who we are, every aspect of what we are, to offer that as an instrument of righteousness in the hand of God. Romans six twelve through 13 challenges us in this way. The Apostle Paul there says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You know what that shows us here? It shows us that we have a choice. We have the ability in Christ. He's, he's talking to Christians. We have the ability in Christ to be free of the rule of sin. We have the ability to choose to reject sin. We have the ability to choose not to give in to it, not to be ruled by it. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13 says, Do not present your members. There's that choice again. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, in contrast... Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. See, Christ makes all of that possible for those that are in him. If you're in Christ today, if he is your Savior and your Lord, you need to understand that Jesus didn't just take away our guilt and our judgment. He did that. At the cross, he took away our guilt and and our judgment, but he didn't just take away. He also gave. He also provided. And what he gave and what he provided was the power to be righteous, to be victorious. And he did that by sharing with us his righteousness and his victory. The victory over sin, the victory over death, the conquering of sin that he achieved at the cross, he shares with us as believers in him so that you don't have to be ruled by sin any longer. You have the freedom to live for him. It's been given to you. That's the purpose of Christmas. It's to make you right with God. We've already established that. It's to adopt you into the family of God, as miraculous as that is. That's that's it too. But it's also to free you to be able to stop living for yourself and start living for the one who died to give you life. My friends, all of this, all of this that we're talking about has to be done in participation with the Holy Spirit's power. It's the only hope we have. We're not going to be able to maintain this on our own, no matter how much we we may want to. This has to be done, carried out in participation with the Holy Spirit's power. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk, that's live, operate, function, by the Spirit. And here's the result of that. As you do that, as we choose to walk by the Spirit, in step with Him, in dependence on Him, 
you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Isn't that great news? That's what we all want if we're truly believers in Christ. That's your desire if you're a believer in Christ. It, it has to be. And, and mine as well. If we're in Christ, we're going to desire to stop walking according to the flesh. We're going to desire to stop being ruled by sin. We're going to desire to stop being conquered day in and day out by that thing that always conquers us. There has to be that, that tension there. Paul talked about that in Romans 7, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, where Paul there, who is already uh, quite the apostle, quite the servant of God, says there in a very transparent moment, I find this law at work within me, that there's this evil present that I hate, and there's all this sin that I hate to do, but yet I do it. I hate it, but I do it anyway. And I also have this other thing in me, this desire toward righteousness, this desire to please God, this desire to obey his law, which I love, but I don't do it. And so I'm, I find this war, he says in Romans 7. The good I want to do, I don't do, and the very evil I hate, I end up doing. And he goes back and forth, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this cycle, this body, this existence of, of death? But he doesn't end in that despair. He says, oh, but wait, wait, I remember this. I remember what I have. I remember the freedom that I have available to me. I remember the hope. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. See, we, we know what we shouldn't do and we know what we should do. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've been given supernaturally the desire toward those things. But apart from the Spirit's working in you, apart from His power, which is available to you, by the way, you don't really have to pray for the power of the Spirit, believer. You don't have to pray for the working of the Spirit. You don't have to pray for the presence of the Spirit. All of that was given to you at the moment of your salvation. What you have to pray for and what I have to pray for is Holy Spirit, help me yield to your power. Holy Spirit, help me yield to your control. Help me yield to your presence. Help me to choose to walk with you and by you moment by moment. And he's waiting to unleash all that in you. He's ready. He's wanting that. The Holy Spirit desires for that. We have to choose to get out of the way. We have to choose to surrender, to lay ourselves down to his power and his control and his guidance as we walk with him. But as we do that, the promise is right there in the second part of Galatians 5.16, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We have the availability. We have the hope. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work all that is according to his good pleasure. We've got the promise. It's a, it's a reality. It's just up to us to embrace it, to yield to it. Why we need to do this, why we need to pursue this, well, to put it quite simply, it's the only way to experience true 
lasting freedom and fulfillment in life. It's the only way to experience the wonder of purpose in all that we're talking about. It's the only way to truly stand apart from an unbelieving carnal world. And it's the only way to express sincere gratitude and love to Jesus. We can sing all the praise songs we want all day long, and we can come to church, and we can read our Bibles, and, and all of those are good things, but you really want to say thank you to Jesus for this indescribable gift like we're talking about today, all that's wrapped up in, in Christmas, the gift of Christmas, all that's wrapped up in your salvation. You really want to thank him. You really want to say, I love you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. This is the way to do it. Remember, remember, the baby in the manger was the sacrificial Savior. He came to give his life, to give life to us, but he didn't stop there. He came to give life to us and the ability to live that life for him. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about it? That's the question before you. That's the question before me. And only you can answer it. What are you going to do with this life you've been given? Let's pray. We've talked all month long about the wonder of Christmas. We talked about the wonder of participation and how we're invited to participate in, in all that is wondrous in Christmas and the reality of Christmas. We talked about the wonder of proclamation, how we are to proclaim what we know when we receive that gift. We've talked about the wonder of promise, that in Jesus every promise that we need is fulfilled completely, perfectly. And now we've talked about the wonder of purpose and the purpose in Christmas, in the manger, is the cross. What are you going to do about it? What have you done about it? I just have to ask, is there anybody here today who has not embraced the reality of salvation that is yours, that's available to you, that has not embraced the Savior who came as the baby for the whole purpose, the sole purpose of going to the cross to be the sacrificed Savior. Is there anybody here who you know about Jesus, you know about Christmas, you know the facts, the figures, you know the right things to say, you've heard the songs, you've heard scriptures, but you've never personalized it. You've never come to the point where you have committed yourself entirely to the Jesus that we've talked about today, the Jesus that is the reason for the season that we've just celebrated. I want to give you that, op- that opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you or you know, put you up here and let everybody look at you and, and all of that. I do want to pray for you, though, directly. And I want to also make myself available to you afterwards if you want to talk. Find out more. Go a little deeper than we did today. I'd love that. So anybody who would say, yes, pastor, that's me. You describe me just now. Anybody. Anybody at all.
Okay, then my next statement, and that's all it is, is to you, my fellow believer, and I'm not going to ask for hands because I already know pretty much every hand would be up to this in response to this statement. It's easy to lose the wonder of Christmas. That's the statement. It's easy to lose the wonder of Christmas. And I know you agree with that. You're human. I'm human, so I can identify completely. It's easy to lose the wonder of Christmas. It's easy to lose the wonder of the purpose in Christmas, which we've talked about today is the cross. So I'm, just, I'm going to pray in just a second. I just want you to know I'm going to pray for all of us. And by praying for all of us, I'm going to be praying for you specifically that you will truly be captured again with the wonder and the awe of Christmas, but specifically like we've talked about today in the purpose for Christmas, which is your redemption, your salvation, your adoption into the family of God. I'm going to pray for all of us that we'll take that, that life that we've been given, and that in the Spirit's power, we truly will live that life for him in response. Pray with me as I do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you that it isn't limited to 25 days on a calendar. Thank you that what we celebrate goes much deeper and goes far beyond any of the elements of this holiday season that we've celebrated. Thank you that the ultimate purpose for your son coming and taking on flesh, the ultimate purpose of him being Emmanuel, all that's wrapped up in that, is our redemption. It is our justification being made right with you. It's our adoption as well. And for that to happen, we had to be made righteous. And for that to take place, your son had to become sin before you so that you would judge him instead of us. And all of that is true. But you've also, in giving us your son, you gave us the freedom to actually choose to live life for him in response. You've given us the ability and the power to choose to not be ruled by sin, but rather to take all that tempts us and all that throws us and to bring it under the rule of Jesus. You've given us that power. Jesus didn't just take away our sin and judgment. He also gave us freedom and victory and life. Help us to use these things, I pray, for you, for your glory. Help us to present ourselves as instruments of righteousness, not of sin. All in the power of the Spirit, by whom we walk moment by moment, day in, day out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.